0: HaShem Naaseven Torah, good to see everyone. Some new faces, some old faces, Baruch Hashem. Um, it's good to see some of the old faces, you guys didn't get scared to death after the uh, shur about Ganom here last week. But uh, Baruch Hashem, the uh, feedback we've had uh, about the Shior uh, has been extraordinary, uh, um, it's very surprising, to be honest with you. It's very surprising how many people enjoyed the insights. As hard as it is to hear about Gainom and punishment and all types of things that uh, unfortunately await people that do not do tshuva, as hard as it is to hear, many people were relieved, relieved to hear it. Many people were relieved to hear it because at least they said, at least now I know what I need to deal with. At least now I know why well, that's a motivation for me to do chuba. Sometimes the blessing is not enough of a motivation. Sometimes to get panasa, to get good marriage, to get good kids. Sometimes you either are not motivated enough by it, or sometimes you already have it, and you think this is it, and therefore you don't need to do chuba. So sometimes the good is not enough for you to sumira, to stop sinning. Stop to go run away from sins. So Hashem says, Sometimes I have to scare you. Not because I want you to break Khasma Shalom, lose hope, but rather because I want you to understand that there's a price to pay if we don't do chuba. Now of course, whatever naysayers still exist. We'll always tell you, no, Hashem is arachaman, Hashem is merciful, Hashem is going to reward everyone, everyone's okay, everyone is this, everyone is that. But then after that shiul, they really can't say that anymore. And the reason why is because Bauch Hashem, with Hashem's help in every single step, we provided you countless amount of sources that in order for anyone to say otherwise, in order for anyone to say that Genom is not a place of punishment, in order for anyone to say that Genom is not a, a real thing, they have to go against the Torah. They have to outright go against the Torah and declare war against the And there are plenty of stupid people in the world, but very few actually want to do such a thing. I, somebody told me a uh, foolishness of some other person today or yesterday. Every day it seems like there's a new one. It doesn't matter what the Maase was, what actually happened, but I told them that if stupidity was a stock, the price would be infinity keep going higher. Uh, and that's be- the reason why is because people, sometimes they fool themselves. They fool themselves into believing their own foolishness. And they don't wake up until Hashem shakes them up a little bit. So, Baruch Hashem, the sure scared enough people to start doing tshuva, motivated enough people to keep going, and enlightened many people about parts of the Torah that they never heard, even if they were themselves were religious their whole life. I mean, we had somebody here in a, in a sure they said he was a Hasid Satmir. He was, I mean, he grew up religious his whole life, was uh, very religious, knows a little bit of Torah, Baruch Hashem, went to Yeshivot, but he says, I never heard anything re- relevant to what you're saying here. So, Ba'ul Hashem, this is a necessary sure and uh, Ba'ul Hashem, it's actually had some good feedback. Now, the Mishnah continues. And the Parashat Shavuah continues, and you'll see that how everything continues to be connected. And Bezat Hashem, you'll see that this is not just a hidden message, this is as baruch as it gets, this is as clear as it gets. Now the Mishnai Navot, the second one, last week we talked about the ten utterances that were created... And it would teach us that Hashem punishes those that go against Him and rewards those that go for Him, to fulfill His will. The second Mishnah, so anyone doesn't think that I'm making this stuff up or I'm just a morbid person and I want to talk about punishment all the time. The second punish, second uh, Mishnah talks about the same exact thing, but just with a little bit more historical details. So the second Mishnah in Avot says the following: Dorot Me Adam Noach there were 10 generations from Adam to Noah, from the creation of the world until Noah 10 generations passed. So the question is why why do we have this why do we why did the Torah care to mention these the names of the ten generations? Of course we know that the Torah is not a history book. So there were plenty of generations that were not mentioned in the Torah. There were plenty of significant time frames that were not mentioned in the Torah. For example, in last week's parasha, there was a gap of 60 years that we didn't hear hear a word about. A gap of nearly 60 years we did not hear about in the actual Torah itself, which was when Moshe Rabbeinu left Mitzrayim, he ran away after he killed the uh, Egyptian, and then uh, the two Jews w- ratted on him to Parol, and Parol wanted to kill him. He actually originally, the Midrash says in Me'am Loez, that he caught him. Parol caught him originally, and he tried chopping off his head. He took a sword, and he tried chopping off his head, and Hashem miraculously turned, his, uh, turned Moshe Rabbeinu's neck into hard as stone. And then froze everyone in the scene and allowed Moshe Rabbeinu not only to survive the uh, sword, but also allowed him time to run away without anyone chasing him, without a worry in the world. This doesn't sound believable. That's because you're still thinking that Hashem is limited like you. I was told somebody when I first came here today that, uh, Hashem, miracles are plenty. And it was a nice, beautiful miracle that happened to me on the way here. I have to share it because it's such a nice miracle. And it's your schut, not mine, because Hashem wanted me to show up here. So I left. I drove from my house. And uh, shortly after I get out, uh, there's uh, sirens behind me. Initially, I think, obviously, I don't think it's me. Who thinks he's guilty? But the guy's not going away, so it's me. He wants to pull over. Okay, so I pull over, and this guy with, like, uh, commando suits comes up to me. He's not a typical uh, policeman. He has, like, an army thing, and uh, there was two cops, like, as if I had, like, uh, crack cocaine pills and uh, a few uh, uh, burglars and terrorists in the back. I don't know what happened. Two cops pulling me over, Shem and achem. I said, oh, Hashem, I have a shoe and a half hours left. Hashem, I'll show up on time. So anyway, maybe they saw the on lecture, they ran away. So anyway, they pull me over and the guy comes in and he he says, yes, um, license and registration. I said, okay. And he says, yeah, you were speeding. I didn't even ask him. I don't argue. Worst thing in the world you can do is argue with cops. Number one, because it gives them a reason to give you a ticket. Number two is because you're giving them too much power. The only power in the world belongs to God. If you're afraid of the cop, that means you're not afraid of God. So... The Sefer Yirmiah uh, says, uh, the, uh, Someone that relies on a person, even if that person is themselves, or even if that person is an authority figure. You think too much of them? Oh, you're cursed. Why? You're taking that kavod away from Hashem, you're giving it to somebody else. So anyway, Hashem, I'm smiling, hey, how are you? And the guy says, yeah, he, uh, you were speeding. I said, okay. I I didn't know. He goes, yeah, you were going 60 on a 45 or something like that. Oh, Hashem, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to. No problem. You have a license? Yeah, 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 I have a license. And I realized, oh, and he's looking at me also, oh, I don't have a seatbelt either. I don't have a seatbelt on. And then I look for my wallet and I realize I don't even have a license. I don't have a wallet. Now, just so you know, generally when you drive without a license, you usually get arrested. You go to jail. That's typically the the typical thing that happens, especially in New York where I lived for 25 years of my life. So I realized I don't have a wallet. So I say, I'm sorry, I don't have a wallet. I I don't have my wallet. And he says, okay, do you have any form of identification? And I say, I look, I look, I'm like, let's check. So I start looking in the car, looking for something. I see there's some books. I see there's some instruction manuals. No, 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 no. I'm like, oh, hey, look, I give him my CD. I'm like, yeah, this is me. It's my pictures on it. I mean, it's me. He goes, oh, are you in a hurry? I'm like, yeah, I want to give a lecture about Torah. He looks at says, DCD. He goes, okay. Good luck. Good luck to you. shalom. Thank you very much. That's it. Now, you see something that's mamash. If you think this is natural, if you think this is lucky, you're a fool. If you think this has anything to do with luck, you're a fool. Because I have the worst luck with cops. Cops arrest somebody else and still look at me and want to arrest me for no reason. My whole life, my whole life, I was I was rich, I was poor. It doesn't make a difference. They look, they arrest somebody else. They look at me, they want to arrest me for no reason. I've had that happen- several times. They've wanted to get to, no reason. Now, Baruch Hashem, you guys have some schuyot. Hashem wanted me to come to the lecture. I show him a CD. Guy says, Oh, okay, Good luck. No seat belt. No license. No, oh, he's like, do you have a license from, the, from Florida? I'm like, no, actually, it's New York. <laughs> I don't have a license from the state. He goes, oh, okay, good luck to you. <laughs> Hashem runs the world, my friends. Hashem runs the world. So anyway, Moshe Rabenu, Moshe Rabenu, Moshe Rabenu, Moshe Rabenu is saved by Hashem Yidbarach. His neck turns to stone. He runs away. And for the next 60 years, we don't hear anything. The Midrash, Yakut Shimoni, says that originally Moshe Rabenu went to the uh, Kush, the land of Kush. Originally he was a uh, second in command to the king over there. He was second in command to the king. But this ended when the king died. And all the people wanted Moshe Rabenu to be the leader. And said, okay, long live the king. He became the leader. And here's a uh, wife. Who's the wife? The former king's wife. The former king's wife became his wife. They had a son. You know, the, the former king. And uh, you know, and, and this uh, queen had a, had a baby right before he died. But they said, listen, since it's the same lineage, whatever, you just marry her now. She's one of the most beautiful women, and so on and so forth. You're the king, just the same wife and same kid. Take the role. You're the king now. So Moshe Rabenu, for the next few decades, was a king of Kush. He actually won some battles. Went to war. He won some battles. One of the battles was against Bilam Arasha. Bilam, the wicked prophet of the Goim. He won a battle against him. But then, after forty years of being king, the uh, queen had enough, and she told the people that listen. This Moshe has been king here for 40 years, but haven't you noticed, there's no new kids. The baby I had from the previous king is grown up. He's 40 years old now. But there's no new kids. Why no new kids? Because for 40 years, this Moshe hasn't touched me. He hasn't touched me. So they ask him, uh, Your Honor, no good? What happened? He says, I come from the descendants of Avram, Isaac, and Yaakov. And my God does not allow me to be with a woman that's not within Avram and Yitzchak and Yaakov's lineage. I'm not allowed to go with anyone that's not within that family. I cannot go with a Canaanite. I cannot go with anyone that's not within that family. Even before Matan Torah. And he says, And I'm afraid of my God. I'm afraid of my God. Yeah, but you're the king. You have money. You have power. You have this. You have that. I'm afraid of God. He lasted and survived the test of a beautiful woman inside his bedroom for 40 years, Rabotai. We can't survive a safe day on the internet. On the internet we can't survive. He survived one in his his house. That's why he's Moshe Rabbeinu and we're not. That's why he's Moshe Rabbeinu. So after that, they said, okay, obviously this can't work. You don't want to worship our idols. You don't want to be with our queen. Shale shalom, good luck to you, go. They gave him a, Hashem put a fear in him. They are all afraid to kill him, because usually such a thing, they would kill the person, even if he's a king. There's no like retirement plans. There's no retirement plans for kings that uh, go against the system. And they let him go. And Moshe Rabenu goes to Midian, which is the only part that we hear about. And Midian originally, he goes to the well, he sees, he throws daughters, he saves them. Itro, who was the pope of his town, very rich, very powerful, and worshiped every single type of Abu But he was also, the reason why it was so many different Abu different uh, forms of idol worship, was not because he was wicked. It was because he was actually Ishamit. He was a man of truth. As soon as he saw that one Abu Dazara, one idol worship was fake, he stopped worshiping it, looked for something else. Found another one, fake, another one. Found another one, fake, another one. Each time he has to build a new church. So now, he hears about this Moshe that saved his daughters, and he says, Who are you? And Moshe says, yeah, I used to be a prince in, uh, in Egypt. And then uh, what happened is that I saw an Egyptian kill one of my brothers from Am Yisrael, And I killed him. And then I went to... Uh, wait, wait, hold on a second. He told us, wait, hold on a second. You killed somebody? You're a murderer. Murder in Egypt is not accepted. It's not allowed. Death penalty to a murderer. Okay, I will exercise the law of Egypt here. Yeah, but it happened 40 years ago. Make a difference. You're a murderer. He was a man of truth. He says, you're a murderer. I'm not going to let the murderer live. He threw him into a jail cell and threw away the key. How long? Ten years. For ten years, Moshe Rabenu survived because Tzipora, his future wife, snuck into the cell every single day and gave him food and water. After ten years, the Midrash, Yakut Shimoni, says, Tzipora comes to our father, Yitro, and she says, Abba, what about that guy that you threw in jail 10 years ago? Let's go check on him. He says, check on who? The guy you threw in jail 10 years ago. He died. No one can survive a week without eating or drinking. You want 10 years? He goes, let's check. What do you have to lose? He goes to check. He sees Moshe Rabbeinu alive and well. He says, okay, this guy is special. How he did it, what he did doesn't make a difference. Point is, this is special. Okay, you're going to work for me now. So he comes and he starts working for Yitroh. Now, on the way back, Moshe Rabbeinu discloses to Yitro something significant without Yitro even knowing, which is that Moshe Rabenu was chosen by the Creator to lead the nation. How? Ben Ashmasot. The Mishnah says Ben Mashot, which was between the end of Friday and the beginning of Shabbat. Right at, uh, right at the beginning, right before the beginning of Shabbat. Hashem made ten creations those ten things that were created One of them was actually the uh, shaft the Stick that Moshe Rabenu had, but this specific stick was already used by Adam Arishon He gave it to Adam Arishon According to the Midrash, it was full of ruby. It was a ruby It wasn't a stick of wood. It was a ruby stone in the shape of a stick long stick and according to the calculations I did one time, and I think it also says it in the Midrash to confirm it, it weighed 674 pounds. Adam Arishon had it, and then it transferred from generation to generation, these gen- 10 generations that you're mentioning here, from generation to generation, all the way to Noah to Avram Avinu. But eventually, after Yaakov, there was no one had the merit to have this stick. So they stuck it in the ground, and the only one that could actually take it out is someone that has the merit. Because on the stick, on this beautiful ruby, was the engravements of the Ten Commandments of the, of the uh, Twelve Tribes and different holy names on it. So it was stuck in the middle of the field of where Yitro was. And everyone tried to take it out. All the birionim, all the, all the people that were strong tried to take it out, and no one could. So Yitro put a price on it, and he said, whoever can take out this stick and give it to me. I'll give you any one of my daughters that you want. Now, when Moshe just came out of the jail, 10 years in prison, barely any food, barely any drink, but he survived nonetheless. He comes out, he's walking on the field. He sees this a beautiful stick. He was a big guy, seven meters tall. Seven meters is over 20 feet. Over 20 feet. It's not like us. You guys think, oh, uh, Moshe Rabbein was a little chabadnik, little guy, you know, had a little hat, long beard. No, no, Moshe was a gibol. So Moshe was very big, but also people in general were bigger back then. And uh, he sees this stick, does as long as him, as big as him, also tw- uh, uh, 7 meters, 20 ama. And uh, he doesn't think much of it. He just takes it out of the ground, like, uh, like you take a hair out of, uh, out of milk. Immediately, he says, this guy's special. Survive in jail for 10 years is one thing, maybe there's a trick. But taking this thing out, when all the strongest people in the world tried to and failed, something is different here. So that's why when he came to him and he says, God spoke to me and he told me to go free my people, you don't see any debates. You don't see, he says, "I'll prove it. Prove it, you're going to take my daughter and my grandkids to some place, they want to kill you. Were you crazy? At least leave the kids here. Please leave my daughter here you go. You want to kill yourself commit suicide. Good luck to you. What do I care? But you don't see Tro debating why is he in debate because he knows this one this one is special This Moshe is special, but everything. I just told you over the last 10 or 15 minutes You don't see it in the Torah. That's the oral Torah the oral Torah the midrashim the gemarot all of that is there now the Mishnah here says that the ten generations between Adam Rishon and Noach are specifically mentioned. Because even though there are many, many things that are not mentioned in the written Torah, these specific ten generations, the name of the ten generations are mentioned for a reason. Obviously, it's more than just reporting history because we just got proof that the Torah is not a history book. There's many things that are missing that should be, in our mind, logically, part of history. Why? It says, for all of those generations, oh, why? To show the degree of Hashem's patience. Because all of those generations angered him increasingly, meaning each generation got worse than the other and made Hashem angry. And he still remained patient until he brought upon them the waters of the flood, until you destroy the world. So here, you see that the Midat Adin, the uh, nature of, of, of judgment, of punishment from Hashem, continues. We continue to learn on it from the Mishnah. This is not a uh, my preference. This is just the order of the Mishnayot. And obviously, everything is run by the Hashem. And we'll see why. So first and foremost, if we look at the weekly parasha, I always like to take some things from the parasha. Parashat Vayera starts off with God speaking to Moshe. Vayomer elav ani Adonai. Hashem spoke to Moses and says, "I'm God." Why is he say I'm God? We knew he was God. We already spoke to him last week. It's not the first conversation they had. Why are you reminding him he's God? Because Moshe had some questions for Hashem. He said, Hashem, why did you send me to Egypt? And Parod didn't listen. Parod, the wicked, I told him, God told me to tell you to release his people, to release his children, and Parod not only didn't listen, he made life more miserable for my brothers. Why did you make me the messenger? Why did you just do it before me? So Hashem, barach, tells Moshe Rabbeinu something that's critical. God spoke to Moses and said to him, I am God. What do you mean, I am God? I know you're God. If God spoke to you, you wouldn't know. What do you think, it's me? What do you think, it's uh, some guy? What do you think, it's some rabbi? If God spoke to you, you'd know. When God speaks to you, you know. Trust me, you know, for sure. No questions. He speaks to you, no questions. Anyone says, "Ah, I think God spoke to me, he didn't speak to you. If you think, he didn't speak to you. I think God's telling me this. If you think, It's not God, it's you. If you still have doubts, it's not God, it's you. It's it's Aray, whatever it is, it's just not God. If you're still thinking. Because God's clear. When he wants you to know something, he makes it clear. Very, very clear. If it's not clear, it's not God. So, God spoke to Moses and says to Moses, I'm God. But I know it's God. Why are you mentioning I'm God? Rashi... Alava Shalom says God is teaching Moshe Rabbeinu the most important mitzvah in the entire Torah. The foundation of all of Judaism. The foundation of all of the psukim in the Torah. The foundation of everything in the world. Foundation of logic. Foundation of rational behavior. Foundation of Everything and anything that's any good in the world. When he says, I am God. He's telling him, I'm trustworthy to bring reward and punishment. I'm God, meaning I know what I'm doing, and the reward will be given to the righteous, and the punishment will be given to the wicked. Dr. Rashi says, He's not telling him, Oh, listen, don't worry, everything's going to be okay. No, no, I'm God. I know what I'm doing. I've been here. If you're righteous, you'll get rewarded when the time comes. If you're wicked, you'll get punished when the time comes. There's no questions asked. There's no, oh, listen, maybe he's going to get away with it because he's a nice guy. Or maybe he's going to get away with it because he had a bad father or a bad mother or a bad brother or bad friends or his dog bit him or the cat looked at him the funny way or the fist died and made him depressed for 25 years. Whatever crazy excuse people have for their behavior. He says, no, no, I'm God. Meaning, there's reward and there's punishment. Why is this the most important mitzvah? Why? Because without reward and punishment, the entire world will be tov The entire world will be simply... No purpose. It would just be a disaster. If there's no reward and punishment, you could just do whatever you want. Unfortunately, before I did tshuva, I had the best excuse in the world not to do tshuva. Best excuse. That excuse held up solid 15, 20 years. What excuse did I have? I have plenty of rabbis, or people who call themselves rabbis, religious people, come to my office and ask for donations and receive donations and invite me to events. And I would attend some of them once in a blue moon. And never once, never once did anyone tell me, hey, by the way, you should do chuba Hey, by the way, you know if you don't do chuba you know what kind of punishment you're going to get? Ooh what? Ooh, what punishment you're going to get? Wow, What punishment you're going to get? get? No, but this. Nobody told me nothing. They didn't say nothing. What they say, what tzaddik, chazaku baruch, what tzaddik. You know what your tzaddik is doing? The whole Shabbat, 250, 300 people are going to eat because of your tzaddik. Wow, what a tzaddik you are. You're like Moshe Rabbeinu of this generation. So me, I'm thinking, minimum Moshe Rabbeinu. Why are you talking just Moshe Rabbeinu? Somebody, somebody, somebody. Staka, staka to kill me, Mavir, to chase you from death. Right? I'm not going to die even. Moshe Rabbeinu died. I'm not going to die. And I'm not talking about once. Talking about week after week, week after week, these weak rabbis would come to my office and tell me nothing, other than staka, charity, all types of things about charity. One time I even asked one of the two of them, actually two rabbis. Two different rabbis, two different times. Listen, this Torah thing that you do, teach me something. Sounds interesting. I learned a little bit when I was a little kid. Teach me something. I'm uh, someone that likes learning. First guy came one time, about an hour late. We learned for, I don't know, 10, 15 minutes, then he had to go. He never came back again. I guess I wasn't that kind of student that he wanted. I don't know why. Second guy would come every single week to collect theqa. I told him one time, I want to learn. I want to learn. He said, oh, no problem, I come. You want to learn? Shh. <laughs> Came, sat down. We learned for I don't know, good solid 10, 12 minutes. Solid 12 minutes. I was kind of sleepy because it wasn't that interesting. But whatever, I was there. After that, he tried, I think, one more time, if I remember correctly, another ten. Twelve minutes, and after that he continued to come, but just not no 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 shears anymore. Just the apart. just come collect money, pay for the mortgage, pay for the lunches, pay for the uh, all the Shuchan shabbat for two hundred people to eat on Shabbat, pay for Hanukkah, pay for this, pay for this. I have you guys think I'm joking? You come to my house if you want to show you. I have plaques, I have plaques. People doing you know, all these different places send me these plaques like a uh, gvil. I have plaques. Oh, you built a Chabad house. I have a plaque in my house. I'm telling you, I have it. I'll show it to you. I have a plaque in my house. You send me a picture. You built a Chabad. I donated to build a Chabad house. You built uh, some other house, some other uh, Beknesset. You, you did this. Minimum shera benu. Minimum. But nobody wanted to teach me. And I had the best excuse in the world. What's the excuse? if it's real if it's necessary one of them would have told me if it's real if it's necessary somebody had to tell me but if it's not real maybe it's just a life preference maybe he's just wearing the hat and the beard and he doesn't drive on Shabbat and he eats a certain type of food and a certain type of diet and he's married to a certain type of woman and he has this and he has that it's just a life preference just like the people in Africa their life preference is to walk around with underwear. And the people in different countries, their life preference is to do voodoo. And other people's life preference is to shoot people. And other people's life preference is to throw rocks. Different people have different life preferences. His life preference is to do this. Fine, mine isn't. Meaning, if it was necessary, if God really said it and commanded it and obligated it, he must have told me. At some point, him, or the second guy, or the third guy, or the fourth guy, or the fifth guy, or the sixth. One of the ten people that's coming to my office every single week would tell me. Now you would say, no, maybe they only came once. No, so I'll give you the math. On the average, somewhere between two to three people a week. Two to three rabbis per week will come to my office for approximately 15 years. But let's just do simple math. Let's just do one person, once a week, for 10 years. It's easier math. It's much more. Whatever number I give you, times it by at least three. But let's just say one per week for ten years. How much is one per week for ten years? One per week is 52 weeks in the cyclical, in the um, Christian calendar. So that's 52 a year. Ten years, you add a zero to the five five hundred twenty. That means you had five hundred and twenty opportunities to tell me a Michalel Shabbat mot yumat. Five hundred and twenty times you have an opportunity to tell me if I violate Shabbat. Not only do I get punished; I have no ulam I'm not considered Jewish according to Allah. If I drink wine, it's if I touch the wine. Just touch it. That's uncooked wine. A regular religious Jew is not allowed to touch it. If I say, "Amen," "Amen," as part of a minyan, to, a, to one of the one doesn't count. If you want to count 10 people to pray for Mignon, you can't count me. If you want a witness for a wedding, you want a witness for a wedding, you can't use me. Me, not talking about somebody, me, me. You can't use me for the witness. And so on and so forth. Somebody, 520 times, you'd figure at some point, the strategy is supposed to hit, kick in. You know, like vitamins, they always tell you, take vitamins, take vitamins, take vitamins. Tell the guy, listen, I've been taking the vitamin for six months, nothing happened. He goes, don't worry. Six months is still the beginning. Six years later, I'm taking a Bible. Oh, don't worry. Six years is just the beginning. When you're 80, they'll kick in. Fine. Maybe it's like vitamins. I figure after 520 times, it should kick in by now. At some point, somebody would tell me, hey, keep Shabbat. Hey, you're intermarried. Hey, you're not keeping kosher really. Hey, something. Nothing. I had the best excuse in the world. Best excuse in the world was that no one told me. So God said, V'yomer elav ani Adonai. God says, they didn't tell you, so I'll tell you. They didn't tell you, so I'll tell you. hurts a little bit, though. Such is life. You spent 15 or 20 years building a career, and you followed what the Yitzhak wants you to do. In this week's parasha, it says, when Moshe Rabbeinu came to Am Yisrael, it says, They did not hear Moshe, because of the shortness of breath and hard work. Avodah kasha rabotah is exactly what the Yitzchak wants you to do. He wants you to be so busy with your avodah kasha, with your hard work, you forget about God. He wants you to be so busy with the stock market, with the, uh, the company you have, the company you want to have, the business you have, the business you want to have, the investment you have, the investment you want to have. He wants you to be so busy with your avodah, with your work, you forget about God. You forget about the Biknissid. You forget praying. You forget where the money is really coming from. You forget to ask the question of what's the purpose of life. You forget to ask the question of what am I doing here, Bichlal. You forget to do tshuva. You're so busy. You're so busy, you forget. That's Avodah Kasha. literally means hard work without even knowing whether you're going to have any reward for it. It's just purely hard and I was busy with my Avodah Kasha also. Many people relied on me. All these tzakot, all these employees, all these families, anyone that needed da, 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 da. I was busy. But, Rabotai, you're not allowed to call yourself a Rasha, but the reality is when you go against the Shem, you're not exactly a tzaddik. You're not a tzaddik. You're not allowed to say La Shonara about yourself, But the reality is that everyone knows whether they're doing right or wrong. Everyone inside. Inside you, you know whether you're doing right or not. Inside you. You know that whether that deal you did is honest or not. Inside you, you know whether what you did with that customer or not is honest or not. Inside you, you know whether the way you honored your wife or dishonored your wife was right or wrong. Inside you, you know whether you behaved right or wrong. Inside you, you know everything. At the end of the parasha, Paro, Paro, arasha one of the most wicked men that ever existed, says, apam, Adonai v'ani Says, "I have sinned." Hashem is the righteous one. The same Hashem, he says, "I don't know Hashem, I'm not going to listen." Hashem is the righteous one. I and my people are the wicked ones, which means, Rabba, that even Paro. Even paro, himachshimo vezichro, knew the truth. At some point, maybe he didn't know in the beginning, maybe he didn't, he ignored it, irrelevant. At some point, Hashem brought him to a moment of truth. And he says to Moshe, I'm a rasha. I'm a rasha. I'm going to do tshuva. But he lied. He did a fake tshuva. He did a fake tshuva, and that's why next week's parasha continues with more and more punishments. So when Hashem tells Moshe Rabbeinu, Ani Hashem... I give reward, I give punishment. He's not only telling Moshe, he's telling us. And this Mishnah teaches off of that. It says, <laughs> There were ten generations from Adam until Noah. The Meiri says, who are these ten generations? First off, there was Adam. Adam. He lived 930 years. Then there was Sheth or Seth in, uh, in English. Then there was Enosh. Enosh in English. Kenan, Mealel, El, uh, Yered, Hanoch, or Enoch in, in English. Metushelach, Lamech, and Noach. Now, the, uh, you should know there is a book called the book of Enoch or sefer hanokh and uh, the christians love talking about it but according to judaism the gemara in maschet sanhedrin page 90 and then again in page 100 talks about it that anyone that reads this book and others like it loses their olamaba loses their olamaba why Enoch was a real character as a matter of fact, if you look at some of the things in this book, they're pure genius. It says you're not allowed to read it. Why not allowed to read it? Because it wasn't approved by the Chachamim. It wasn't approved by the Chachamim because at the time it was written, it was after the time of Lucha Kodesh After the time of prophecy, which means the whoever wrote it did not use prophecy. Meaning there's no certification that this is from Hashem. Even though it has things that are very, very mystical. It has things that are beyond this world, things that some people like and enjoy talking about, their angels and so on and so forth. The goyim infiltrated the book and started putting their shtuyot in it also. They put their nonsense into it. They started putting their uh, idol worship in it. And the book is not reliable. And this is called chitzoni. Uh, a, a book that's like on uh, on the outside, and this is one of the few books that's not allowed, not permitted to even look into it, not even permitted to look into it. Which I know means that ten people at least today are going to go look into it, but you're wasting your time. You're not going. You're just putting yourself in danger. Yeah. As there. Um, I think I think if I understand what you're saying, yes. If I understand what you're saying, yes. Uh, so this is one of the books that's not allowed, uh, simply because it has uh, it's been tainted with. Once it's tainted, you can't rely on anything that it says. Right, wrong is indifferent. Intelligent, not intelligent is irrelevant. There are some books that achitzonim, like Ben Sira, that you are allowed to read. You are allowed to read. Gemara says uh, there are some leniencies with that specific book, but it was, still was not considered part of the Tanakh ben was actually the son of Jeremiah. ben was the son of Jeremiah. And a very strange way of how he came, mystical way of how he came to life. There's a lot of wisdom in it, very similar to the book of Proverbs. Very similar. But this is life wisdom that is not Torah wisdom. It's life wisdom. Some people read it, but they say you shouldn't read it anyway. Why shouldn't you read it? Because we're brought to this world to learn Torah, not just things of wisdom. So the Yavits, the Hasid Yavits, if you guys remember, I told you about his difficult life. He was one of the Gedolay Adol. He actually read it, and he made commentary on it. What did he say? He said he used to read it in the bathroom. So at least he gets some wisdom, while even when he's in the bathroom, suffering. At least he can read something with some uh, thing. Obviously, Torah, you're not allowed to learn in the bathroom, unless it's for one of these Kofrim Rabbis, which is not considered Torah. Uh, which, by the way, for all of you that always ask me, you know, ask me questions uh, about these different rabbis that say stupid things and not really rabbis, and how do I know? That's because this is what I do in the bathroom. Their Torah is worth bathroom. That's all it's worth. It's not worth actual Torah time. So now the generations continued, and we have Noah as the tenth generation after creation. But Noach was a son of Lemek and grandson of Metushelach. Metushelach lived uh, almost a thousand years, and he actually, both him and Lemek, knew Adam Arishon and Shet. Both of them lived at the time of Adam HaRishon and Shet, or Seth. So which means that Noach. Wasn't like a uh, just because he lived a hundred years after Adam Arishon died, he wasn't completely disconnected. His father knew Adam Arishon, his grandfather knew Adam Arishon. Actually, his grandfather outlived his father. But nonetheless, they both lived at the time of Adam Arishon and knew him for some time. His grandfather knew him for almost 300 years or 250 years, and Lamech knew him for about 50 or so years. So now, the Mishnah says that what's the significance of this? There has to be a lesson learned. The Mishnah says that this lesson is to show a degree of patience from Hashem Yedbarach. Because as soon as Seth was born, after Seth was born, wickedness entered the world even though you already had Cain and Abel and there was a uh, murder that happened before, but no one was worshipping any idols. No one was going against God. People were going against each other, but not against God. But after Seth, people started going against God. People started worshipping idols. But not like today, people worshipping some guy that died 2,000 years ago and think that he's going to give them a uh, get-out-of-jail-free card, or some uh, people are worshipping some statue they bought for 15 bucks from the store. Not that. They decided that God is too busy. He's too busy to care about the little things. He's too busy to care about whether you keep Shabbat or not. He's too busy to care about whether you say bracha before you eat. He's too busy to care about your problems. So they figured that he has messengers. He has messengers. He has different angels. So let's give the angels kavod. So they started saying, okay, so for Panassah, there's this angel. For marriage, there's another angel. For kids, there's another angel. For this, is another angel. For this, another everything they made an angel, and they started worshipping the angels. Not that they directly went against Hashem, like atheists go. No, they said, no, Hashem runs the world, but he's too busy for us. Which is a masik fila which is the thought of heresy. Why? If you think that Hashem is too busy for anything, if you, if you think that there's anything in the world that Hashem misses or doesn't know about, you're 100% a heretic because you're limiting Hashem. So does Hashem care about this year? Yes. Does Hashem care about what happened before this year? Yes. Does Hashem care about what's inside your specific brain right now? Yes. Five minutes from now? Yes. Two hours from now? Yes. Three years from now? Yes. Three years before? Yes. All the time. Once a person understands... That when he says Hashem Melech, Hashem Malach, Hashem l'olam va'ed, that Hashem was the king, Hashem is the king, Hashem will always be the king. In essence, he's not saying Hashem was the king of everyone else. He's the king of you. First, he's the king of you, then everyone else. Because if everyone says he's the king of everyone else except me, that means that Hashem is the king of no one. So whether it's your business that you want to succeed or your marriage that you're looking for success or whatever it is, or you're looking for a zivug or so on and so forth, if you think that this is beyond Hashem, you have a serious, serious problem. It's beyond emuna. It's beyond emuna issues. So, first and foremost, the wicked people thought wrongly about Hashem. They thought that Hashem doesn't care or doesn't have time. But despite all of this, Hashem didn't punish them right away. Hashem waited 10 generations. 10 generations is a lot of time. You're talking about 1,650 years. 1,656 years he waited before he punished anyone. Now even Cain, Cain who killed Evan, killed Abel, he didn't punish him right away. What did he say to Cain? He said... This sin is too much for you. To bear this whole sin by yourself is too much for you. Why? In essence, you just killed 25% of the world. Why? You have uh, Adam, you have uh, Chava. not counting the twins and the other women, but just Adam, Chava, Cain, and Abel. We have 25% of the world. You just killed 25% of the world. The, the burden of this one sin is too much for you. Now I'm going to give you a little bit of an atomic bomb right now. But it's a very important atomic bomb for you to know. If you go to BeKneset, it's an extremely important atomic bomb. There's another place in the Shulchan Aruch that Hashem says this sin is too great for you to handle. Which sin is this? The Shulchan Aruch Uses a language that's very scary. It says the sin, making the sin is too much for you. It's not Shabbat. It's not wasting seed. It's not intermarriage, even. It's not Khilul Hashem, even. What is it? Talking in Knesset? You like to have nice conversations with your friends, with the rabbi, with the Kela, with all these people, we like to talk to them in Beknesset. Shulchan Aruch says, the sin is too great for any individual to bear. Meaning it's such a huge sin to talk in Bet knesset. you have no idea what you're doing. And the reason why is because Tosfat Yom Tov says that this one person, we're not talking about the whole kilas talking, or sometimes the rabbi himself talking, we're not talking about that. We're talking about one guy talking. One guy decides, hey, what do you think of uh, the basketball? What do you think of baseball? What do you think of this? What do you think of that? What do you think of business? What do you think of the stock market? Whatever it is, in the middle of the Chazat chats, you're going back on Tefillah Shmona The Amidah, you do it again. Everybody thinks it's like a free lunch. You don't do anything. You know, you already did Amidah. Now the Chazan goes over it again. Every once in a while, everyone says, I'm in. Every once in a while, everyone says, you know, bless the Hashem's name. Once in a while, you do something. When it's the kedusha or the Rabbanan. Every once in a while, you have to do something. But in reality, you look around the shul, that's the perfect time to have a nice conversation. Everyone talks. The rabbi talks sometimes. The people talk sometimes. This one talks. That one talks. And everyone feels perfectly okay about it. Sometimes the conversation is so interesting to people they forget the chazan even praying. They forget the chazan praying because when he says, oh, you finished, oh, okay. No, no, we just finished Amidah. No, go back. Rewind. What happened? Rewind. Abutai, the Shukhan Aruch says this sin of talking in Bet Knesset is too much for you to handle. Not for the whole Kila, for you, you yourself, it's too much for you to handle. Why? Someone that talks in Shul is considered a mahtiya rabin. Someone that talks in Shul is considered someone that causes other people to sin, which the Rambam says in Inchot Shuvah, is one of the four conditions of why Hashem does not let people do Shuvah. The four types of people Hashem says... Your punishment is not just getting home. It's not just uh, losing money. It's not this. It's not... Your your punishment is shem and him. Worst punishment, I'm not going to allow you to do chuba I'm not going to allow you to do chuba Why? You got other people to sin. Go fix that first. It's hard. Worst possible sin, the Rambam says. Worst possible uh, um, punishment. Why? You're causing other people to sin. When you're talking shul. Even more so, the Tosfal Yom Tov says that when you talk in shul, you're causing the tefillah of the entire shul not to be heard or accepted by Hashem. Your little measly conversation about the stock market or about this or about that gets the shechina of Hashem to leave. Hashem does not go to a moshav leitzim. doesn't go to a place of clowns. doesn't go to a place with jokesters. Your Knesset is a place of worship. It's the house of Hashem, big or small. You want to make it a Moshev Letzin, that's not where Hashem is going to be. So that conversation, that innocent conversation, the Sefer Agan Derech Moshe says, Shem that little conversation causes Hashem not to even listen to everyone's prayers, not just yours, everyone. Everyone suffers. The chida in Sefer Pesach Einaim says that if someone just knows for sure he's going to talk in shul, someone knows he's going to talk in shul. He can't hold. He can't contain himself. He just has to talk to somebody. He cares. One of these people, he has to talk. Hashem <laughs> <laughs> have a gift of gab, but Hashem in the I don't talk to anyone because I know it's bad. Some people they have a gift of gab inside the shul, nothing else outside the shul. Only in the shul they talk. The chida. Says such a person, it's better off they don't go to shul. At all, ever. Stay home. Don't go to shul. The sin's too much for you to handle. The sin's too much for you to handle. And you should know this is not a min'ag. This is not a khumra. This is not chasidut. This is in the Shulchan Aruch 124 7. Even more so, Magin Avraham, Siman 151, said that there have been shuls that have been destroyed over the years and some even gotten to the point of being turned into churches. If you ever asked why Hashem does it according to Magin Avraham, that's the reason. People talk in shul. People talk in shul. Hashem says, oh, it's Moshev Okay, let's just turn into a place of idol worship instead. Might as well be. Might as well be. Someone that talks in Shul, the Drashot Chatam, uh, the Drashot Chatam Sofer, in volume 2, Drasha, for the, seventh, uh, for, for, uh, uh, the Drasha in there, in volume 2, says that someone who talks during the Tefillah, you know, some people like to talk so much that even if you're praying, they don't care. It says that their mouth becomes Tameh. How tame, what's the degree of tame? What's the degree of impurity? It's the same thing as if they were an idol worshipper and they're praying to God now. You think God's gonna listen to you? The point being, there's more and more. I mean, I could talk about this for another hour. The point is you get the point. When Hashem says to Kain, it's too much for you, we understood. But he's telling us also, it's too much for you. You want to talk in shul? Don't go. Why? Because then you're going to go home and cry. Why does him answer my prayers? Why is this sick? Why is that this? Why am I losing money? Why is all this bad stuff happening to me? You can't shut up in shul. Would you expect none of your prayers are being accepted? So the prayers that we have have significant meaning. Especially at the time of suffering. Especially at the time when we have have problems. The Zohar Kadosh Parashat Bereshit 254B says that Noah after the Mabul came to Hashem. He saw the world destroyed. Everything is destroyed. There's nothing left. And he starts crying to Hashem. Hashem says to Noach something scary. He says, Noach, you're a drunk shepherd. Noach, you just saved the world. You just saved Noah. everyone else died. Everyone else died. Noach and his family said, they keep. Tadikim, they survived enough. Meaning, the point is that in his generation, he was the best. Best enough to be that the whole world had to restart from him and his kids. I don't think anyone here, especially myself, can say that if Hashem wanted to destroy the world, He would choose you to start the world with. If you think so, Shrecha, I'm not there. No was... But the Gemara says that some people rule against Noah. Some people say Noah made a mistake. Some people say Noach was Tzadik Dorotav, meaning he was a righteous in his generation, not because he was so righteous, but because they were so wicked, eh, he passed. But if he was in a generation of Abraham Avinu, nothing. They look at it that way. The reality is, it's quite different. And a with chem, worth at least a million bucks, at least. Discount. Zohar Kadosh says Hashemit says to Noach, Noach, da you are a drunk shepherd. Why are you a drunk shepherd? Why are you crying now? Why are you crying now? If you would have cried before the mabul. I wouldn't have killed everyone. I wouldn't have destroyed the world. So I asked the question. I had a difficult question. Okay, so let's say Noah cried. Big deal. Me, 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 me. He's crying. Why are you not going to destroy the world? They're still a shame. They're still worshipping idols. They're still uh, having uh, homosexuality, bestiality, stealing, this. Every sin in the world they made. Okay, so he cried. Big deal. He cried. Hashem says, if you would have cried. Hashem said it if you would have cried before the Mabul, I wouldn't have destroyed the world. What one to have to do with the other? It's the Chidush. Chidush is Rabotai. There is a ma'amal, a divrei chachamim, the sages say something extraordinary. If you have family, friends, brothers, sisters, parents, Loved ones, anyone with a pulse that you're close to, even if you're not, but you care about them enough to help them. You have to know this. You have to know that there's a secret of how to get what you want heard. How to get what you want heard? Because they can. You could talk to somebody for two years, two years they're listening, two years they everything is exiting you out the other side. You put it do 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 do, and it goes do 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 goes in, it's like recycled. Once in a blue moon, something stays in there for like an hour or two and then it goes back outside also, like the waste. It's not going in. not going in. It's not going, in. It's, not going, in. It's, not going in. it's not working. But sometimes you have somebody come to a shoe. You tell them five words, the guy's like, okay, I want to do tshuva. Now. No, no, right now. Okay, let's just come to the next shoe. No, no. Now I want to do tshuva. Moshe Abraham Avinu. I want to do everything now. Well, I'll learn now. I want to do tshuva. I want to do everything. I had Hashem. The shurim in uh, in New York, we started. I said, "Oh, does anyone want tzitzit?" I did a shul a couple of hours. Young guys, maybe 30, 40 guys. I'm thinking the shul was decent. It wasn't uh, anything. It was a shul. I'm thinking maybe one or two guys are gonna want tzitzit, maybe to put it in their car to just to make themselves feel good. I said, "Anyone want tzitzit?" <laughs> every single person. No, give me one. Give me a blessing. Give me this. Give me this. Everyone did shuvah on the spot. was like amazing. It's like Mount Sinai in Brooklyn. Unbelievable. We're going back to the next week, Ms. So, sometimes you say something to somebody, light turns on. They change. Something changes. What's the difference? Sometimes you talk to your brother until you're blue in the face. Nothing. But sometimes you talk to a stranger, everything changes. stranger noticed something that maybe your brother, your sister, or anyone who didn't listen, didn't pay attention to, because they're too busy with their own emotional battles. The stranger paid attention to something critical. The stranger paid attention to something that the Chachamim say is the secret to success, if you're going to do Kiruv, or anything else that's worthwhile in the world. And that is, Advarim שיוצים מלאב, things that come out of the heart enter the heart. If the stranger sees what you're saying is coming from your heart, it'll enter his heart. But if for a second he thinks that you have some, you're like nagua, you're like you have a bias. You want him to do it because you make money out of it. You want him to do it because you want to show that you're right. You want him to do it because you want him to be like you. You want him to do it for some bias reason, automatically deleted. Even if it's right, even if it's genius, deleted. Why? No one wants to be told what to do. No one wants to be told what to do. Everyone thinks they know everything. When was the last time you told your parents, "Abba, ima"? You're a hundred percent right, if ever in your life. Most of the time, we say, "Abba, ima." I don't think you know what you're talking about. The times have changed. The times have changed, Abba Ima. You know, 50 years ago, it used to be this way. Today, it's different. All of us think that our parents were always old. Little do we know, they used to be like us. And they know a lot more than us now. They're just us after the experience. We just don't want to listen to the experience. We want our own experience. Only fools learn from their own experience. Smart people learn from old people's experience. But sometimes... You don't want to listen to anyone else. Why? It's against your nature. It's against your yitzara. It's against your ego. You think it's by you listening to them, you're admitting that you're wrong and therefore you're a fool and therefore you're a loser and therefore you're no good and therefore you're just might as well not live. You think so crazy in your mind that listening to this person, no way, I'll find out on my own. I'll do it better on my own. Many people told me when I first started my business, said, you know what? Guys with experience, guys that had 15, 20 years on me, told me, I don't think you should open a broker-dealer. It's a big headache. You should focus on being a producer, your own broker. You're already making millions. Why change? You're doing well, just keep going. I said, No, I gotta own it, I gotta do this, I gotta do this, I gotta do this, I'm gonna own, I'm gonna be, and I'm butt- I regretted that decision for the rest of my career. Simple, simple decision. Simple decision. While I still lived in a world of falsehood, it was a mistake. But nonetheless it was my mistake. I wanted to learn make my own mistakes because I was convinced I was gonna prove the world wrong. Not that the business is not good. Business is fine. It just wasn't for me. If you're good at one thing, stick to it. Why keep moving to everything else? Sometimes somebody tells you advice that's worth a million dollars for free. He tells you to do something, she tells you to do something, and you're like, nah, I don't think they're right. If they were right, they would charge for it. If it was so good, they would do it. And you don't realize you just got priceless advice for free. And your ego won't let you listen. Your ego won't let you change. And you stay in your direction only to realize some years later that the biggest mistake of your life was not listening to free advice. Now, how can you get people that you care about listen to this free advice you have when you tell them, listen, you got to do tshuva? And the reason why you have to do tshuva is because Hashem is not kidding He's not your friend. He doesn't care about your investment portfolio. He doesn't care about your girlfriend. He doesn't care about your boyfriend. He doesn't care about anything else other than the fact of this, whether it's true or not. True meaning it's for him, false meaning it's against him. Are you fulfilling his will or are you going against him? The way to do it, Rabotai is by making sure that whatever comes out of your heart comes out without a bias. You're not doing it for any specific reason. You're not doing because you want money from people. You're not doing it because you want to show them you're right. Oh, look how much I know. Yeah, yeah, I got him to do tshuva. Yeah, yeah, I got him to do tshuva. Yeah, yeah, I gave him the CD. Yeah, I brought him to the lecture. Yeah, I'm the lecturer. Yeah, I'm his father. Yeah, really, I created him. It says in the Q video, I created him. I created him. Start making the guy feel like he's nothing. He wants to go back to being kofir not because he doesn't like God, because he doesn't like you. You want him to listen to you? Eliminate the bias. Now, how? Do, what does this have to do with Noah? In the Zohar it says, that Noah cried to Hashem after the Mabul, and Hashem said, you are a shoteh. You're a drunk shepherd. Why, drunk shepherd, if you would have cried before the mabul I wouldn't have let it happen I wouldn't have done it what does one thing have to do with the other what is him crying before the Mabul have anything to do with destroying the world the Kiuche that's worth a million dollars at least is that Rabut had noah cried the people around him would have known that what he's saying is coming from the heart. And if they would have seen that what he's saying is coming from the heart, they would have done chuba. The fact that Noah was building the ark, you're building the ark, they say, okay, what are you doing? Oh, Hashem's going to destroy the world in some years. I'm getting ready. Everyone says, ah, he's, he's a bias. He's probably trying to make money selling these ships. He has a bias. He's uh, trying to start a new religion. He has a bias. Maybe he wants some tzedakah. He has a bias. He has a this. He has a, it didn't come from the heart. And what? That was the difference between him and Avraham Avinu. Avraham Avinu comes to Hashem Hashem. If there are 50 tzadikim in Zdom, I've never been there, but if there's 50 people there at tzedikim, you can destroy it still. Chas v'shalom Hashem. 45, 40, you never went there but you still care you don't know the Jew but you still care about him that's unbiased that's coming from the heart and that's why even if there's ten I'll save them all but there isn't unfortunately but at least it came from the heart and that's why the Chachamim what they mean when they say Avraham Avinu was bigger Avraham Avinu went with the heart but every Friday move the chair to the other side to where they are Yeah, take the chair, move it to where Rafael is over there. The. Thank you. The. Chachamim that structured our prayer wanted you to remember this. They wanted you to remember. That Hashem is not kidding. It's really important to know that Hashem is not kidding. It's really important to know that there is a reward and punishment. Because if there isn't a reward and punishment, there's no point. There's no point to doing anything. That was one question that I always mass- asked myself. And I would constantly have the Yitzhak rationalize it for me. I said, If you don't have to be religious, why are these guys religious? Why would you want to wear that clothes? Why would you want to have this beard? Why would you want to have this food? Why would you want to be this? Why Why? For what? If you're not obligated to do it, what's the good out of it? Of course, once you do it, you realize there's a lot more to Judaism than just fear. There's love and there's beautiful things in it, but until you're in it, you don't understand that part. It doesn't look like fun. From the outside, it doesn't look like fun at all. Sometimes even when you're in, it doesn't look like fun. Why? Because you don't, you're don't. you not doing it the right way. If Shabbat is not fun for you, that means you're doing it wrong. If learning to lie is not fun for you, that means you're doing it wrong. If the mitzvot are not gan Eden for you, that means you're doing it wrong. That's all it means, if you're not enjoying the mitzvah like it's gan Eden, that means you're doing it wrong, you're doing something wrong. If the mitzvot are heavy to you, like steel, Hashem says it's not my mitzvot. There was one time a businessman came to his, got to his hotel and he realized that he forgot his suitcase in the previous hotel. So he sent his helper and he says, go get my suitcase in the previous hotel, make sure it's the right suitcase, it's black and it has a white stripe and it has a this. And I gave him the full description of this suitcase. And some hours later, the servant comes back in, the helper comes back in, and he's carrying the suitcase, oh, oh, and he's like, you know, he's down the hall, he goes, it's not my suitcase. He goes, no, it's your suitcase. Oh, oh, it's not my suitcase. He goes, how do you know? I'm I'm, I'm 50 yards away. It's your suitcase. He goes, it's not my suitcase. I know from here, I know it's not my suitcase. He goes, wow, boss, you have such good eyes that you can see a special mark on your suitcase 50 yards away? He says, no. Actually, I need glasses. Then how do you know it's not your suitcase, boss? He says, because my suitcase is full of diamonds. It wouldn't be that heavy. If the mitzvot are heavy for you, Rabbotai, it's not the mitzvot for Hashem. You're doing it wrong because the mitzvot are diamonds. They're easy. They're enjoyable. If it's not enjoyable, it's something wrong with what you're doing. Now, Hashem wanted you to remember that if you still don't understand the significance of the mitzvot, you understand the significance of the punishment. So every Shabbat, right before Shabbat comes in, we go to Bikkurim, We sing all types of songs and we pray all types of prayers. But right before our avit starts, it says, lamabul yashav. God sat there and let the mabul happen. In so many words, my own words. He sat and he didn't do anything. He let the mabul happen. Why? Why is it mentioned right before Shabbat? Shabbat. A holy day, an amazing day. Why is it mentioned to us the Hashem la Mabul Yeshav? He let the Mabul happen. The time of Noah. How's it connected? How are the two connected? Okay, the Mabuls 4,000 plus years ago. Shabbat is right now. Okay, they were ashamed. They stole. They did. I went to business. I did my thing. I didn't steal. I didn't, I didn't kill. I didn't do anything. Hashem, why? A little remez to understand that anyone that says that Hashem lets things go, you could just violate Shabbat because you don't feel like it. You could just drive on Shabbat because that excuse for a rabbi said it's allowed. You could desecrate Shabbat because it's not convenient for you. The Gemara Masechet Bava Kama says that anyone that says that Hashem is just going to let go without punishment, they themselves will get a special punishment. And it's symbolic of when it says that Hashem even let the entire world the entire world be destroyed. The entire world will be destroyed and his Ananda destroyed. So this Mishnah is teaching us something critical. That even though Hashem has an enormous amount of patience, it does have a limit. None of his natures are limited. He has unlimited mercy, he has unlimited wrath. He has no image, he has no likeness of an image. But he did give rules to himself. It's not that his patience is limited. But he instilled laws for himself through his Torah to limit his patience. Why? The world has a clock, and the Sfarim Hakadoshim say that the world will last six thousand years at most. At most doesn't necessarily mean that it has to last for six thousand years. Six thousand years at most—that's the last time. And the last thousand years will be the days of Mashiach, and so on and so forth. Of the next, it will be a part of the next world of Olam Haba. But nonetheless, the maximum amount of time that this specific world has is 6,000 years. Meaning that Hashem restricted Himself. Not because He is limited. Not because He has a certain amount of time. But rather, there has to be a limit. If there's no limit, people won't do anything. The reason why He changed the generations before Adam HaRishon, until the time of Noah, from Adam HaRishon until the time of Noah, people lived... Long lives, 300 years, 500 years, 1,000 years, even more in some cases. One young stud died at 350. Like, oh, why did he die so early? Oh, Hashem wanted him close. Young guy only, 300 years old. Young guy. But nonetheless, Hashem said that when I let them live for 900 years and 500 years and 1,000 years, they kept using the excuse, Oh, my friend lived until he was a thousand. I'm only 600. I'll do chuba when I'm 900. I got at least another few hundred years. So even though Hashem had a lot of patience, He changed it. He limits it. He restricts Himself. But nonetheless, the Hasid Yahweh says that He still lets the Reshaim continue living. There's a few reasons for that. One reason is because at some point something good will come out of even the reshaim. Even the wicked, something good comes out of them. Everything has to have something good in it. If it's Hashem's creation, it must have something good. For example, the Hasid puts the example of Terach. Terach was not only an idol worshiper, he sold idol worship, he sold idols. Had Hashem punished Terach for his sins, Avram would have never been born. Avram Aivri, Avram that started all of Judaism, Avram that was the first person that was monotheistic in his generation, Avram that converted millions of people, would have never been born. So since Hashem knows the future, he knows that these wicked people have some righteous descendants, and for all the generations that angered Hashem, He told them, "My patience does not does not last forever." The Gemara Masechet Mas- Mas- Bav Kama, page fifty eight, says that anyone that says that Hashem waves His punishment of sin is in essence waiving his own life. He's giving his own life up. He's giving up his right to live. Because the Machzor Vitri says that a person needs to know that if he doesn't do chuva, the natural consequence is that he must be punished. There's no such thing as living a life full of sins without being punished eventually. Because even the generation that saw things beyond our imagination, they saw living angels, they saw mystical things on a day-to-day basis, they knew God existed. Now they didn't doubt God existed. Even they, when they didn't do tshuva, eventually they had to get punished. Now, The, somebody asked me a question, wonderful question, two weeks in a row, I didn't answer it, Hashem had mercy on me, she didn't ask it during the, during the shiur, but, I learned it today, and got your answer, so in Taylim 58, in Psalm 58, it says the following, Deuteronomy 58, verse 4. It says, The wicked are estranged from the womb. Meaning some people are literally created with a Yetzirah that's beyond the norm. The speakers of falsehood went astray from birth. These people that tell lies, that change the Torah to their own understanding... Sometimes they call themselves rabbis. Sometimes they call themselves otherwise. They were gifted, a gift of speech, a gift of gab. And they use it for the wrong thing, for the wrong reasons. And it says the question. In verse 5 it says, And they have venom, like the venom of a snake. Like a deaf viper that closes its ear. So as not to hearken to the voice of the charmers of the most skillful casters of spells. O God, smash their teeth in their mouth, shatter their molars of the young lions, O Hashem. Says there's certain types of people that are wicked. Wicked people lead other people astray. Bad speakers. Calls them charmers. They tell you a tzaddik. They tell you, you don't have to do tzaddik. As long as you give tzaddik, you're the best. Like this one Kofel told me that the only tshu, the only mitzvah that Amisa needs to do in this generation is tzaddik. All you have to do is give staka You don't have to keep shabbat. You don't have to keep this. You don't have to keep that. So I told, listen, why do you keep it then? You didn't have an answer. Like a couple of these other rabbis that I'm debating over the last 24 hours about the whole Whig situation. Like there's even a debate. First, they tried to embarrass me in public because, of course, you can't start a debate without embarrassing me in public. That's At least that's like, you know, one of the first things you have to start a debate. Is embarrass me in public. Oh, Hashem, I know this is good for me. After that, they tell me, I love you though. I love you though. You know, we're, achi, achi, we're brothers. And then we go back and forth, and I, we provide them, Rabbi Freiman and I provide them with literally a laundry list of proofs, Allahic proofs, not our opinion. And I'm not even talking about the Abu Dzerah, by the way. Forget the Abu Dazara. Abu Dzerah is not really a proof. It's just one thing, one line. Abu Zarah and I'll have to enjoy it. That's, it. that's it. It's the beginning and the end of the conversation. We're not using that. We're just using the whole concept of wigs not allowed, and so on and so forth. 127 posts go against it, and so on and so forth. So, we're using a slew, a, literally a laundry list of proofs that it's not allowed. They went back, we showed, let's say, 25 proofs. They showed three against. We showed them that even the three they showed is wrong. With 50 proofs. What do they do? They start cursing us out, start insulting us personally. Rabbis. But these rabbis, they tell you, I love you though. It's brothers. We're brothers. It's, this is all it's a, out of love. Out of love. Sometimes the lovers are really your haters. They tell you, you don't have to do tshuva or they don't tell you anything at all. And here, in this Taylim in this psalm, it says that sometimes these people literally were born with a yitzhara that's astoundingly strong. They tell you one thing, but in reality the truth is quite different. But then, the question wasn't this. The question was why does David HaMelech on one end say the venom comes from the venom of a snake and then it says a viper. Both are snakes. It also has it in a few other teilim. It also has in other telim. So first and foremost, we should know that the different types of yetsara. Some yetsara is lower level. Some yetsara is higher level. Different types of yetsara, different types of snakes. In other teilim, when it mentions different types of snakes, sometimes it literally means different types of snakes. Sometimes it's referring to, as a a show that it's uh, different types of Yetzirah. But here, this specific tailim is something special. Here it says, you know that some people are born wicked. You know that those wicked people are charmers. And they they sweet talk you into continuous sinning. Oh, come to the club with us. Oh, come have a drink with us. Oh, you don't have to do tshuva. Oh, stop doing tshuva. And so on and so forth. But at the end, when you go up to Shemayim, you can't use them as an excuse. And the reason why is because sometimes the venom is the venom of a regular yitzara. But Sometimes the deaf viper that closes its ear. Sometimes the Yetzirah, it's also Yetzirah, but it's only Yetzirah, it's limited. You know that what he was saying was wrong, but you still closed your ear to the truth. Okay, I, I know, yeah, 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 whatever he said, let's go to the club, let's steal, let's this, let's do it, whatever. It you know it's a Yetzirah. But you also had somebody come tell you the truth. At the same time Hashem sent you somebody to tell you the truth, come to Shuba, come to the Shua on Tuesday night, come to this, come that. Like, no, no, it's too late. What too late? You're going to the club anyway. When you went to the club, you left the house at 12 o'clock at night. You left the house at 12. What, to come to the Shua at night It's too late? Oh, no, I'm tired. What tired? You haven't slept in three days. You haven't complained yet. Now all of a sudden you're tired? Oh, no, it's long. What? You were in a club for five hours. You didn't complain about that. Oh, no, but you're too strict. Did I write the Torah? Is it my fault? God wrote it. Complain to him. No, my rabbi is easy. I'm like, yeah, he's the charmer we're talking about. He's the charmer, the one that's too lenient on you. He's the charmer. What does it say about the charmer? God smashed their teeth in their mouth. Shattered their molars. Eventually punished them, Hashem. Hashem. Punished them, Hashem. Give us a chance. Because sometimes even our own Yetzirah we can't handle. Sometimes we create our Yetzirah. We close our own ears. We hear the truth. No, no, no. It's too much. No, no, no. He's not a rabbi. No, 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 he's you. No, 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 you create excuses. That's the different types of Yetzirah Now as we face a generation of Yetomim, literally orphans, we know nothing. We expect our leaders to tell us the truth. We expect our leaders to help us, give us some guidance. But unfortunately, a lot of the guidance is unreliable. Unfortunately, if you go to many rabbis today, they'll tell you, no, you're okay. You're a Tino Ishba. You're a, a captured baby. You're a captured baby. You didn't know. You didn't grow up religious. You didn't grow up uh, in a yeshiva. It's okay. Don't worry about it. It's fine. You're fine the way you are. First and foremost, I'm going to give you proof that it's complete nonsense. From the Torah. And second of all, I'm going to give you another proof that they're full of nonsense. That even they don't believe it themselves. Regardless of whether this is coming from Chabad or from this one or from that one. They're all full of it I'm sick of hearing it already Sick of hearing people giving themselves an excuse to go against Hashem. sick of it So much to the point we just want to vomit How much they lie to people and they lie to themselves? Instead of being focused on getting people to do tshuva they fight with me about wigs. They fight with me about the Rebbe being Mashiach. They fight with me about all types of things that are not relevant to anything. And they fight with me and they tell me, no, you're too hard on people, like I wrote the Torah. Everyone's a tinok shenishba. Everyone's a captured baby in this generation. So in the Gemara Masechet Shabbat, page 68a, Rav and Shmuel both said, Our Mishnah is dealing with a case of a child who was captured and raised among the Gentiles. i.e., Or a convert who converted and lived among the Gentiles. Meaning, a convert who converted on his own. On his own but he didn't move to a Jewish neighborhood. He didn't move to a Jewish uh, community. And he went back to his old ways. And he was surrounded only by goyim. So both are considered a and nishba. Both are considered like a captured baby. Since such a person never knew about Shabbat. Never knew about Shabbat. This captured baby. Or this uh, convert that lived among the Gentiles. Never knew about Shabbat. He's liable only to one khatat for all of his violations. He's liable for one of the... He has to do a korban for violating Shabbat. If, let's say, for example, he violates... is specifically talking about how many sacrifices you have to bring for violating Shabbat. You have to make a sacrifice for every sin. Or it's one sacrifice for all the sins you made on that specific Shabbat. That's the debate. Sigma continues and it says, But if he recognized the Shabbat, he understood that Shabbat exists, he knows what Shabbat is. And eventually he forgot it. Meaning he knew what Shabbat was. He grew up, you know, there was some chasidim some in his neighborhood. Some chabad people came to his office. Some breastflug people gave him some Emunah CDs. Some other Orthodox people told him to come for Shabbat. He saw some people go to B'Knesset. He even himself went to B'Knesset once in a blue moon. He went for Yom Kippur. He went for Rosh Hashanah. He went for Shabbat once in a while. Whatever, he knows. He knows what Shabbat is. He's not completely like a polar bear in the middle of Greenland. He knows. al kol Shabbat He's liable for each and every Shabbat that he ever desecrated. Rabotai, they're talking about specifically a tinok shenishba. They're not talking about just someone that's knowledgeable. Someone that's knowledgeable that violates Shabbat knowingly, it's death penalty. But someone who grew up in a secular house, grew up in a secular house, or he fell off, or he converted but didn't move to a Jewish community, and he didn't get proper education, or he grew up, he knows, but doesn't know. Mara specifically says he still has to pay a punishment for each and every single Shabbat he ever violated. Never does it say what these rabbis or excuse for rabbis say. Oh, your Tinoxion is It's okay. Hashem forgives. Hashem forgets. Don't worry. It's okay. You're going to be engranded with Moshe Rabbeinu. The Rebbe's going to take care of you. This one's going to take care of you. They write big checks that no one can clear. Now, Allah Halima as far as Allah, not from the Gemara, actual Allah. Rav Vadya Lava Shalom wrote the following in Ilchot Olam, chapter eight, Chelakchet Amud Vav, page six. A Mechallel Shabbat beFaresia, ben leachis, ben leteavon, mutar lealvot lo beribit. Rav Avadya writes the following. Someone that violates Shabbat in public, drives his car in Shabbat, smokes a cigarette on Shabbat, everyone knows he doesn't keep Shabbat. Ten people know he doesn't keep Shabbat. He doesn't actually literally have to be outside and ten people see him. Faresya means ten people know he doesn't keep Shabbat. So even if he smokes a cigarette at home, or he watches TV at home, or he cooks at home, or he works somewhere else, but everyone ten people at least know that he doesn't keep Shabbat, that's considered pharesia. That's considered a public sin. Rehobody says if he violates Shabbat, the pharesia, whether it's because he wants to make God angry, or other Jews angry, or he just simply desires to. He just feels like it. Pursuit. He just feels like going to the beach on Shabbat. He feels like taking a shower on Shabbat. He feels like cooking on Shabbat. He feels like working on Shabbat. Not because he wants to make anybody mad. He loves God. He loves you. He loves me. He loves everybody. Sadiq. But he feels like doing it. doesn't feel like keeping Shabbat. It's Rabbi Vadya who made all types of leniencies wherever he could. He says you're allowed to lend him money and charge him interest. Now for anyone who does not know, in Judaism there are a few no-nos. What's a no no? No no meaning no ulama ba. No olam here, no olamaba. No no. What's a no no? If you lend another Jew money and charge him interest, you officially lost ulamaba. Meaning, you have to fix it. If the fine is Jew, and give him the money back. Give him the interest back. Yeah, but it was millions of dollars. Your problem. Your problem, you are not allowed to lend another Jew money. If you're a Jew, and he's a Jew, you're not allowed to lend him money in charge of interest. Yeah, but he needed it. Good. Lend him money. No, but it was, uh, I needed the money for something else, so don't lend him. You're not allowed to make money off of interest off of another Jew. Unless he's not considered a Jew. If he's a Goy, if he's a non-Jew, charge him interest, enjoy, it's a business. If he's a Jew... Is your brother not allowed to make money off your brother? That way. If you sell products and so on, you can make money. But if it's interest, you're not allowed. At kidkah to such an extent that if you charge your brother, another fellow Jew, interest, you literally lose Olama It's the same degree as Michalil Shabbat. Rabbi Vadya gives us a chidush. it's an atomic bomb. It says if he violates Shabbat. Charge him interest. Why? He's not considered Jewish. His Judaism is on suspension. Now many people that have Yerat Shemaim do not charge interest to other Jews even if they know that they violate Shabbat. And the reason why is because they're always scared that maybe al they all do Tshuva. They come to the show, they do Tshuva. They do Tshuva, you have to give them the money back. Who wants that problem? So now, you have Gemara. You have the Gdola Do, one of the biggest giants in history, write it in Alacha. But then, they're going to tell you, yeah, but we don't hold by the Rabu We hold by uh, somebody else. We hold by somebody else. Pick one. Hold somebody else to create a new law. Fine. I'm going to prove to you from them, from their own words, whoever says these things, that they're full of it. Why? If let's say, for example, Torah uses the term tinokshin ishba, a captured baby, to first of all tell you this actually happened in history. The goyim actually captured some of the Jewish babies and hid them and, made, and told them they were not Jews. This happened during the Holocaust, this happened before, and so on. But also to grab your attention. They make you understand the significance. Sometimes we use parables and analogies in order to grab your attention. Arav Dessler <inaudible> alava shalom said that some people fool themselves so much to such an extent that they believe that the parable is reality. They still stay in the parable. You tell them a parable about a ship, they think they actually own a ship. They want the ship back at the end of the story. Now, all of these people that use the parable of Tinokshanishba to term in a Gemara, as we mentioned, a captured baby. Now let's say there was chas v'shalom, chas v'shalom lo lo there was a captured baby. Let's say there was, literally, a captured baby. Some Rasha Wushaq captured a baby. And you happened to work in the building and you saw the captured baby. You saw it as a captured baby, Rasha, captured baby, Rasha, captured baby, Rasha. Now, I have to ask you a question. Would you just say, ha, bad luck for this baby. I'll just let him stay captured. He captured him fair and square. Leave him captured. Leave him as is. He captured him. He took the baby. It's wrong. It's not my problem. I didn't capture, he captured him. Let somebody else deal with him. Would any of you even imagine such an awful thought? You saw a captured baby, you saw a is oxen, and you just left him, you let him stay that way? No one with a little bit of conscience would ever do such a thing. Why? Evil. So even if you still believe that Pinoch Shanishba and his whole generation is full of, of captured babies and no one knows and no one knows, you're still not allowed to let them stay captured. You're still not allowed to still not tell them the truth and say, listen, you were a captured baby for 30 years, you didn't know about Shabbat, you didn't know about intermarriage, you didn't know about kosher, you didn't know about anything you were even a Christian, you were even an idol worshiper, you were even this, you were even that. Fine. Wake up. It's all nonsense. I'm going to take you out of being captured. Why? I have a heart. You don't have to have a brain, just a heart. To know that you can't leave this baby captured. You cannot use this excuse, everyone's captured, they're all going to be okay. And we'll finish off with this, Rabotai. People ask me this question all the time about how to get other people to do chuba, how to rebuke, how to this and how to that. Let's ask the chachamim so we know the actual answer is valid and not just an opinion. So the Rambam and ilchot deot Alakha six says when one person wrongs another the latter should not remain silent and despise him in his heart somebody did something wrong you can't keep it in your heart don't keep it in your heart why this could be turned into something much much worse in sefer HaMitzvot, the rambam describes this types of hatred in your heart as more severe than anything else why cuz it continues to build because as long as it stays in your heart, you can't fix it. No one knows. Eventually you explode and it becomes a disaster. In Alachaz 7, it says it's a mitzvah. For persons who sees that his fellow Jew has sinned or is following an improper path, to rebuke him, to correct his behavior, to inform him that he's causing himself a loss by his own evil deeds. As we learn from Leviticus 19.17, You shall surely admonish your colleague. So it's a Alacha, the Rambam specifically says it, that you must, that's from the Torah, 613 mitzvot, you must rebuke your brother. You see him sinning, you must rebuke him. Fine. So here we see that this is not just a figment of my imagination. This is obviously a mitzvah in the Torah. Now, as we continue in this Alakha, it says the following. How should you rebuke him? First, rebuke him privately. Rebuke him by speaking to him patiently and gently. informing him that he is only making these statements for his colleague's own welfare to allow him to have a merit in ulama You say it to him nicely and try to tell him this is for your own good. The Magen Avraham explains that this is only if this person made a private sin. Meaning you saw him make a sin on his own. No one else is affected by it. But if the person sees another person making a public sin, like speaking in shul, like we talked about before, he must rebuke him immediately in order to prevent the chilul Hashem, a desecration of God's name. Now, if he accepts the rebuke, the Rambam continues, it's good. If not then one should rebuke him a second time and a third time. And indeed continue, because he's obligated to rebuke his colleague who does wrong until this colleague of his either strikes him and tells him, I'm not going to listen until he hits you, up to how many times? Rambam says in the Chot Shuvah a hundred times. And some say unlimited. Now whoever has the possibility of rebuking sinners and fails to do so, someone sees another person violating Shabbat, doesn't say anything. The rabbi tells him where to park instead of telling him that he should do Tshuvah. Someone who sees another person sinning and doesn't rebuke him, he is now responsible for that sin. Source, Gemara Masechet Shabbat, page 54b. And also Masechet Sanhedrin, 93a. The Rambam says, for he had taken the opportunity to rebuke the sinner. Meaning that now the sin is not only on the sinner, it's also on the one who didn't rebuke. Why is this considered so awful? Because watching a sinner continue to sin is one of four things that the Rambam says in Chot Shuvah chapter four, Allah 1, is one of four things that Hashem gets angry about to a point where he does not allow the person that did not rebuke Duchuva. There's four conditions. One of them is Mahtia Rabin, causing other people to sin. Another one is actually letting other people sin and not rebuke them. The first person who admonishes a colleague should not speak to him harshly until he becomes embarrassed. And he gives you some sources from Leviticus. But from this we learn that it's forbidden for a person to embarrass a fellow Jew, meaning you shouldn't embarrass him for no reason, unless, unless... this no embarrassment part only applies when there's matter between one man and another. But when it comes to spiritual matters, meaning someone is it's beyond the private, if the transgressor does not repent after being admonished in private, you told him to stop talking in shul. You told him to stop violating Shabbat. You told him to stop stealing. And he didn't listen. He continues. Then you are allowed. Then he may be put to shame in public. And his sin may be publicized. And he may be subject to abuse, scorn, and curses until he does chuvah. As was the practice of all the prophets of Amisrael. All of the prophets of Amisrael. All the Nevi'im in Amisrael. If they had to get to that level, that's what they would do. So this whole issue of no, listen—you shouldn't embarrass people because it's a, uh, you know, it's like murder. It's like this. It's like that. Yes, but if it, when it's for their own good and they just don't know it, if push comes to shove, you have to do it. So the point is that obviously we don't want to get to that point. We don't want to embarrass anyone in public. We don't want to embarrass anyone. Period. But right now we're at a, such a horrible stage such a horrible stage that we're around the corner from Mashiach. He's literally going to arrive any day, any year, any time. And no one's ready. As much as I would love to wish for the Mashiach to come tomorrow, honestly, I say, chas v'shalom. because if he came now, we'd be in the worse shape than we were in Egypt. Most people don't understand this. When Am Yisrael was saved from Egypt, it wasn't all of them. It was only 20%. In some cases, they say even less. Not all of Am Yisrael was, was saved from the slavery of Egypt. The ones that didn't want to do tshuva, which were 80% or more, Hashem killed them in the plague of darkness in the next week's parasha. So in a few other places, says Rabbi Yochanan, Ula... Rabbi and several other sages say that if the Mashiach comes, we want him to come. We just don't want to see him. It's going to be so difficult. The Yetzerah is going to be so big, so strong. It's to be very it's impossible. Right now, we have that Yetzerah. Right now, we don't know who's the right rabbi, who's the wrong rabbi. We don't know who's telling the truth, who's telling us lies. Rabbutai, there's a very, very simple way. There's a very simple way to know. If he's telling you lies or not, two things, two things you have to know, two things. One, is what he's saying coming from the heart or does he have a bias? If he's telling you to do something because he wants to make money out of it, if he's telling you to do something because he wants you to give him a certain position, if he's telling you to do something because he wants you to pick a certain side, if he's telling you to do something because he wants you to be a certain way, there's a bias. But that that by itself does not necessarily mean it's wrong. It just means there's a bias. It means it's not necessarily purely coming from the heart. But even more so, even more important than anything else, is what he's saying justified by the Torah. Can you prove it by looking in the Torah and says, you know what, I'm going to go up to Shemaim and I can use this verse to justify what my Rav told me to do. You can't go up to shamai and say, no, no, he told me to do, he told me to do. So he told you to do, we'll punish him too. Doesn't, doesn't absolve you from sin. Just like the Rambam says, the one that didn't rebuke, he also gets punished. He did not say that it relieves the one that sinned from punishment. That never happens. That's what this Mishnah is all about. The Mishnah is about that no one has a free ride. No one can just say I didn't know, or I was secular, or I was young, or I was old, or I was this. There's no excuses in Shemaim. This is the most valuable lesson that you can possibly learn, because once you understand that Hashem is not your buddy, He's not your friend, and He's definitely not going to let go of anything, then we can start doing tshuva. Then we can start taking tshuva seriously, and tshuva is not impossible. Tshuva is not impossible at all most important part of chuva is to make sure that you regret you regret what you did the charata. I wish I didn't do it I wish I didn't waste seed I wish I didn't go with that girl I wish I didn't go with that guy I wish I didn't violate Shabbat I wish I didn't skip class I wish I didn't you know make fun of the rabbi I wish this at least feel bad about it That already shows Hashem out. You know what? He feels bad. Second thing is, stop sinning. Stop doing it. So for all of those people that are trying to do tshuva, the most important part, there's other steps to tshuva, which we'll talk about tomorrow night, Bezat Hashem. But the most important steps are the first two for you. Feel bad about what you've done. And not just say, but I'm going to do it again tomorrow. I violated Shabbat my whole life, but I'm going to continue violating Shabbat until uh, until my business grows. Until this, until that. And the second thing is, stop sinning. Simply stop sinning. Not just feel bad, but stop doing it. So if you're in the process of conversion, you cannot continue hanging out with your idol-worshiping friends. Stop telling me that you're trying to convert them to don't convert anyone convert yourself If you're in a situation of intermarriage, you have to stop at the very least Being intimate yes, I know it's hard. Yes, I know whatever stop sinning If you're in a situation where your business is a dishonest business Stop stealing Stop doing things that are dishonest and so on and so forth for every other sin that's out there. At the very least, not only feel bad, but stop sinning. Be genuine about it by stop sinning. Stop pretending. Everyone wants to, you know, a, a, a quick pill to cure everything. There's no quick pill to cure everything. It takes time to do tshuva. It takes time to understand what you need to do. It takes time. But it doesn't take time to make this decision. To make a decision that you feel bad for whatever sins you know of and whatever sins you don't know of, takes a moment. To decide to stop sinning takes a moment. Okay, I don't have the entire wardrobe of being modest, but I'm definitely not going to proactively be immodest. A woman can't just change her wardrobe overnight. If you ever see a woman shop, it takes a year just to get one dress. So to get the modest clothes may take time. It may take a week, it may take a month, it may take a year, whatever it takes but to proactively be continue to be immodest with your behavior, with your words, with your clothing, with so on, that you can stop immediately. So all of the mitzvot is a minimum, a minimum level of chuba you have to begin with. You can't say, no, 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 once I get married, then I'll figure it out. Or once I do this, then I'll figure it out. Because the decisions of what you need to figure out are now. That's what Hashem wants from you. That's what Hashem is expecting from you. That's what you can actually hold in your hand if the Mashiach does arrive sooner than all of us thought. If life ends sooner than all of us thought, That's something you can hold in your hand. Okay, I started Shubah. I didn't complete shubba, but I started. I felt bad. I stopped sinning, at least on purpose. That at least you could hold. That's something you can say to Hashem. Look. He says, you know what? You're right. Okay, you didn't do everything. You didn't do everything, but at least you were genuine. That's something you could hold. That's something you could that's 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 something meaningful. That's a diamond. That's a priceless diamond. But don't go to him and expect the rabbi card. Oh no, no, but the rabbi lied to me for 20 years. Okay, so oh no, but the rabbi told me I'm allowed to drive on Shabbat. Okay, so. Yeah, but the rabbi said I'm allowed to wear a wig on. Me and my wife. Okay, so? Oh, but the rabbi said this, and the rabbi said, Okay, so? You learned 20 years to how to make a million dollars? Why didn't you learn two minutes how to keep Shabbat? Why didn't you learn two minutes that it's not allowed to enjoy how to worship? Why didn't you learn two minutes how to keep kosher? Two minutes, not 20 years. You can't use the rabbi card. Even if your rabbi is Mamash Amalek himself. You can't use it. You can't use it. That's what we need to know, Abu Tayyip.